0: Hey, everybody. We're back. It's Monday, (laughs) June 5th. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Moshe Nunu,
1: And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the
0: facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Uh, Jill, it was lovely taking a week off. We got a lot of notes, uh, people missing this pod, but rest assured, everyone, we're back. How was your week off?
1: Guess who's back? Back again. I mean, listen, while you and Alex were sunning and relaxing and (laughs) tasting food and just enjoying life, I was getting poked and prodded. I had a colonoscopy. I had a mammogram. Um, But, you know, you got to do what you got to do. And I'm glad that it's done. And that's it. Uh, How was your vacation?
0: I, I feel really bad talking about it's it now. It's okay. You, you're like, well, i I had a colonoscopy. How was your vacation? Chill. Um, it was it was great. Uh, you know, all among the advice that we hear from people is like, enjoy the time that you have. Get your sleep in right now uh, before the baby arrives in the fall. And so we definitely did that. Uh, very much enjoyed. I never, honestly, I've spent very little time in the Caribbean. Usually when we're going abroad, we're going... Kind of off to Europe or you know South America or whatever, and uh, really enjoyed this island of Anguilla. It's um, lovely people, uh, very very chill vibes there. So very much um, enjoyed that. And then as we got back here this weekend, we began kind of final content to the baby, beginning with stroller shopping. Posted a video on Instagram, and uh, no shortage of at least a thousand comments from people with their opinions and perspectives on uh, the best stroller to get.
1: There are a ton of decisions. Luckily for you and Alex, though, there is a certain Mo News podcast co-host who's about a year and change ahead of you guys in the baby game. And so you guys will be getting a lot of my... The stuff that we don't need anymore.
0: We greatly appreciate it, Jill. You've been very, very generous so far, and it it extends, by the way, uh, to the whole Wagner clan. <laughs> we got a we got a pack and play this weekend. Care of your brother, so appreciate appreciate that as well.
1: Hand me downs are the best, and the the truth of the matter is, and, and any parent will tell you, you don't use this stuff for a very long time. It has such a short no. shelf life, and even things that you your baby needs, sometimes they just don't take to it right a certain bassinet they just don't like it and they never sleep in it so as Mm. much as you can get handed down the better
0: with that jill we'll post a p.o box for everyone to ship (laughs) their (laughs) hand-me-downs to mo news uh we're taking well what you got folks Because, yes, uh, I keep hearing from people like this was relevant in my child's life for about four weeks uh, (laughs) and I spent X amount of money on it.
1: Okay, with that, we miss you guys. We're so happy to be back. Um, And let's get to some news here. Okay, let's start with politics. The race for the White House is getting crowded, at least on the Republican side. Three more big names are expected to enter the race this week. Meta, the parent company of Facebook and Instagram, could soon be pulling news from its platform in California. We're going to be telling you what is behind that and some of the broader implications. What a new announcement about oil from Saudi Arabia could mean for gas prices, new details on the explosion that was heard over D.C. on Sunday, why the racetrack that hosts the Kentucky Derby is canceling horse races for the rest of the summer. We're going to have an update from India, where a tragic train crash took place this weekend, killing hundreds of people. How the debt ceiling drama finally ended this weekend. And at long last, Apple is expected to show off its new virtual reality goggles. But, Mosh, are any of us really going to buy these things?
0: It has a hefty price tag. We'll tell you about the end of the podcast, Jill.
1: All right. And Mosh has on the day in history.
0: Bueller. 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 <laughs> Uh, there are some <laughs> film buffs, Joel, that have tried to figure out the exact date that Ferris Bueller actually took off. And we think we know it. It was today in history. And so we'll have that later in the pot.
1: All right. I can't wait. Let's start, though, with politics. This is going to be a big week in the presidential race, as at least three more Republicans will be jumping in the battle for the White House. Former Vice President Mike Pence, former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie. And North Dakota Governor Doug Bergen are all set to enter in the next 48 hours or so with long shot challenges to frontrunner Donald Trump. Christie actually advised Trump's campaign back in 2016, only to become a very vocal critic of the former president. He will be formally announcing his 2024 campaign tomorrow. Pence, of course, served as Trump's vice president but then lost his favor by refusing to support his effort to overturn the results of the 2020 election. Pence is set to enter the race on Wednesday. Also entering on Wednesday, the North Dakota governor, Doug Bergen. He is a billionaire, former software entrepreneur who sold his business to Microsoft about 20 years ago, the growing Republican field now approaching a dozen. While well, that concerns many Trump opponents inside the Republican Party, they fear that this large number of challengers will splinter the anti-Trump vote and basically hand the party's nomination to the former president. Who can rely on at least 30 percent of the republican base to back him they fear it's going to be a repeat of 2016 where he was able to win primaries in part because there were 16 opponents splitting the vote let's get through a couple of the people entering starting with chris christie christie now 60 years old he was one of the candidates who ran against trump and lost in 2016. While he defended and advised Trump early on in his presidency, even advising him for debates in 2020, he has since become one of Trump's most vocal critics during a recent town hall in New Hampshire. Christie called Trump, quote, a failure on policy and a failure on character. He said, quote, everybody could be fooled once by a shuckster, but if we allow ourselves to be fooled twice, We have no one to blame but ourselves. And let me promise you, if he is the nominee in 2024, Joe Biden will be the president in 2025. Christie, who formerly led New Jersey, is a bit more moderate on social issues, and that could be challenging for him in the current Republican Party.
0: Jill, Christie is a long shot here, uh, and they acknowledge that within the campaign. But he wants to make a point here that it is okay to criticize Trump. And the party, if it wants to move on and win next year, they have to get rid of the guy. So he could be a very interesting player here. He knows Trump very well. As you mentioned, he advised him. He was prepping him for debates in 2020. In fact, uh, in the prep room ahead of the Trump-Biden debate, you had Christie advising him to just sit back and let Biden step over his words and fail and pause, etc. And you had Rudy Giuliani in the room reportedly saying, attack, 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 interrupt, It would turn out that Trump would go with Rudy's advice and not Christie's advice. Christie's saying if he had just sat back, he would have been able to show the difference between the candidates. Regardless, it does mean he does know Trump well. He knows how to provoke the former president. And Christie is known as a very strong debater. He does get credit back in 2016 of taking down Marco Rubio as all these candidates were going against each other. And of course, Trump would win out. This time around, he's not going to be making that mistake. He's aiming all of his fire at Trump, by the way, Christie, also a former U.S. attorney, can speak to legal issues, including Trump's current indictment and likely upcoming indictments. He's going to be going on stage, going after Trump's unfulfilled promises, including not building that wall to Mexico and getting them to pay for it, uh, his pledge to uh, repeal Obamacare, which he never did. So that's what he's going to be focused on. Again, a long shot here, especially how populous the party has become. And he's polling in single digits right now. On the other end of the spectrum, you have Mike Pence getting in here. Mike Pence has, has been traveling to key primary states. He's leaned into issues that other Republicans aren't addressing, including saying, listen, Medicare, Social Security, these hard issues, we have to address them. And while many won't address them because it might mean changes to current policies, Pence says, I'm the guy who will talk about the hard issues. The other thing Pence has going for him is he speaks to these social issues, the very hardcore conservative. Social issues, including increased abortion restrictions, uh, and there is a constituency—the evangelicals within the party—that could be responsive to it. Effectively, Pence is trying to bring back the Republican Party pre-Trump, the one of the Bush era of being globalist on foreign trade, a strong foreign policy, conservative social policies uh, before Trump really kind of remade the party. So that's what Pence is trying to do here. He is critical of Trump to a certain extent, especially around January 6th. Remember those January 6 rioters. Some of them were literally yelling, hang Mike Pence and trying to find him. And while he is critical of Trump, uh, he also doesn't go after him, at least in the way Christie does. So you have those two getting the race. You also mentioned the North Dakota governor, who uh, we don't know that much about. We'll get a better sense of that on Wednesday. And that adds to Ryan DeSantis, Tim Scott, the senator from South Carolina, uh, former UN ambassador Nikki Haley, former Arkansas governor Asa Hutchinson, and several others. And by the way, we're not done yet. The mayor of Miami, Francis Suarez, also considering getting in here. And the Virginia governor, Glenn Youngkin, uh, also saying that he's considering a bid here. So uh, this race could be, uh, you know, baker's dozen. We might get up to the 16 number of, <laughs> uh, of 2016. Though keep in mind, the record holders right now are the Democrats. There were 26 Democratic candidates in 2020. And that was the uh, group that Biden would eventually emerge from.
1: All right, moving on. Some big changes could be coming to the way we get news on social media And it begins in California. Meta, which owns Facebook and Instagram, may start blocking users in the state from reading, posting or sharing any news on their feeds. That is, if the state passes a law that would require tech platforms to pay news publishers for the content, the law in dispute is called California's Journalism Prevention Act. Which is sort of a weird name, (laughs) no,
0: Moshe? Um, I I think they they tried to keep it tight here. I think the the idea here is that companies like Meta and tech companies are preventing journalism from happening.
1: They're just missing a a few words, okay? Um, NPR though explains it this way: this would basically be a tax on the advertising profits that tech platforms make. From distributing news articles, a large majority, about 70 percent of the money collected from this law, would support newsrooms throughout the state whose advertising revenues have nosedived as more news is consumed on social media. The bill's author is Assemblywoman Buffy Wicks. She argues that it could be a lifeline to local news organizations that have been decimated by the Internet boom. Wicks said at a hearing last month that more than 100 California news organizations have shut down in the past decade And with that, newsrooms have been absolutely decimated.
0: Yeah, this is a real thing. And by the way, if you read uh, local newspapers, once great local newspapers in California these days, um, you know, some of them are just filled with national wire copy from the AP um, and other agencies because they don't have local reporters anymore, uh, especially when you get beyond the front page. The numbers nationally are astonishing here. Uh, Nearly 40,000 newsroom jobs have been eliminated over the course of the last decade. Nearly 400 U.S. newspapers have gone out of business in just the last three years. That averages out to two per week. And there are entire areas of the country, Jill, that we now call news deserts, where there are just no local papers, not even weekly papers anymore. And as we know, local news are the uh, reporters that are investigating Uh, companies that might be polluting in the area, uh, corrupt uh, government officials, uh, informing you about what's going on. And that is a a real issue in some communities where they literally just don't know what's happening in their towns and communities anymore. Some will say this is a free market and, you know, they didn't know how to manage the business and handle digital. At the same time, many of them, including uh, government officials, point the finger at Meta and the tech companies for basically eating into the entire advertising world that uh, once advertised, companies once advertised with local newspapers, they no longer do that. They do it with Facebook and they do it with Google, etc. So now news outlets say it's time for Meta to pay up. But Meta says not so fast here. And so what's happening here is Meta saying it'll just stop publishing news. Like they're done. They're not going to provide news on Instagram and Facebook, uh, where bands like this Uh, might be put in place, a spokesperson telling NPR, it's pay or remove the news, our hand is being forced. And Meta's move here is not an empty threat. After Australia, the entire country of Australia, signed a law forcing social platforms like Meta to pay for news a couple years ago, Facebook blocked all news articles across all of Australia. Google was also ready to pull its search engine from the country entirely. Traffic to Australian news websites plummeted. It shows how powerful these tech websites are at news distribution Eventually, though, in the Australian example, they gave in and settled with Australia and made a deal to pay news publishers. One Columbia journalism professor did the math. He found it generated nearly $150 million for news organizations down under. That is a game changer for media organizations struggling to survive in this digital era. Uh, Joe, uh, this California thing still ongoing, but we're already going to see a bit of this in Canada. Canada, following the example of Australia here, also has a piece of legislation uh, going through parliament there that's gonna force tech companies like Meta to pay news organizations. Uh, In a blog post last week, Meta said it's gonna start cutting off news content on Instagram and Facebook in Canada, randomized if you're a Canadian news user, uh, and also randomized for news outlets, but to give uh, folks a sense that they're serious here with that threat. So again, we went back and forth in Australia, Canada is doing this to try to save their news industry. And here in the U.S., at least, uh, you see the move in, uh, in California.
1: Back to California, the state Senate still needs to approve the bill. The governor needs to sign it. California, the first U.S. state to try this type of model. Depending on how it goes, though, it could be the first of many Meanwhile, a sign of how much turmoil there is in the news industry, Gannett, which is the biggest newspaper chain in the country, they're going to be hit by the biggest staff walkout in history. Employees are protesting the company's leadership for basically gutting the newsroom to cut costs.
0: Yeah, Gannett, uh, known for USA Today and hundreds of newspapers across the country, Um, just one of the major companies that, again, is seeing such diminished ad revenue that uh, they're forced for cuts, and then now you have the staff protesting that. Uh, Jill, we also got a few questions from people asking, what does this mean for Mo News? Yeah, what does it, it mean news for Instagram? Mo News? <laughs> well, it is a big question uh, because everything is still up in the air. It is up to Meta uh, and Instagram, et cetera, to determine what is news, what are the news platforms, and what do they block? And it's we're at their whim. It's one of the reasons, actually, Jill, I should mention we're launching Mo News Premium, and we've been trying to expand to this podcast and newsletter, etc. Is this is the wild, wild west right now, and how things turn out in social media are still up in the air. Uh, and so, you know, we'll keep you up to date on what it means. I, ideally, we get some sort of alert saying we're blocking you now in certain countries. That's how they've explained it. Um, in the meantime, though, one way you can support us continuing to do what we do and expanding in this sort of Murky environment is by joining Mo News Premium. You can do that over at mo.news slash premium for just $7 a month. You can support our work, get access to our private Instagram account, extra podcasts, and more help sustain us. Again, that is Mo News Premium. We're also offering two free months right now on the annual Mo News Premium package at mo.news slash premium. Had to put in a plug there, Jill, because we're also looking to uh, survive and thrive in this crazy environment, this crazy media world.
1: Speaking of surviving and thriving in this crazy media environment, Let's get to some of our sponsors before we get to the speed read. And let's start with one of our new sponsors, Hold On Bags. It is more important than ever for us to make thoughtful changes that make a big impact when it comes to caring for the earth. And it could start with small things, including what type of sandwich or trash bags you use. And we are very happy to be partnering with Hold On. That is one word, Hold On. It is a company that's all about finding a better way to go about our daily chores. Trash bags and kitchen bags are necessary staples, but it turns out that they don't need to be 100% plastic, which in most cases cannot be recycled. Hold On trash and kitchen bags are heavy-duty, plant-based, non-toxic, and 100% home compostable. We have been using them in our kitchen and it really feels good to be part of the movement away from single-use plastics. They break down in weeks and not centuries. Uh, they are offering a special deal to the Mo News audience to shop plant-based bags and replace single-use plastics all over your home. Visit holdonbags.com slash MoNews or enter Mo News at checkout to save 20% off your order. Moshe, I will mention that we have been using Hold On Bags in my house. My husband didn't really know what they were. And after a couple of weeks of using them, he's like, I love these bags. What, what are these? Where did you get them? Cause they feel great.
0: <laughs> we're using them as well. And again, there's just so much, the amount of plastic waste we create um, is insane. And you know, if you guys don't know already, most plastic, not recyclable, despite what you may have learned through the years or put in your recycling bin, that plastic does not actually get recycled. Uh, and so that's why it's so great to be using these bags.
1: All right. Sustainability has never been more simple. That is hold on bags, H-O-L-D-O-N bags.com slash monews or enter monews to receive 20% off your order.
0: All right. Now to athletic greens. We we're talking about health trends and food trends on this podcast. We all know how hard it is to get all your nutrients, your probiotics, all the things that your gut needs on a daily basis. One way to try to get all of them, though, is through Athletic Greens AG1 powder. It's just one scoop with a glass of water in the morning. Athletic Greens AG1 powder is easy, quick. It lets you get on with your day knowing that you've gotten 75 important ingredients, including tons of vitamins and minerals. It also has pre- and probiotics in its mix to support digestion, and gut health. The founder of Athletic Greens was having trouble getting all his nutrients, and that is what had led him on this journey to create the AG1 powder. With your first purchase of AG1, Athletic Greens is giving Mo News listeners a free one-year supply of their vitamin D, as well as five free travel packs. You can visit athleticgreens.com slash mo news to take advantage of this offer, where you can get a discounted monthly subscription or try it just one time for just a month. Again, it is athleticgreens.com slash monews, M-O-N-E-W-S, for this special deal. It's an opportunity to really start to take ownership over your health.
1: All right, time now for the speed read from The Washington Post. With just two days to spare, President Biden signed legislation on Saturday that lifts the nation's debt ceiling, averting an unprecedented default on the federal government's debt. It ended the months-long drama that unnerved financial markets at home and abroad and caused anxious retirees and social service organizations to make contingency plans in case the country was unable to pay all of its bills. The Treasury Department had warned that the country would start to run out of money today. That final agreement passed by Republicans and Democrats in the House on Wednesday and then the Senate on Thursday suspends the debt limit until 2025 after the next presidential election and restricts government spending. It gives lawmakers budget targets for the next two years in hopes of assuring fiscal stability as the political season heats up.
0: Yeah, Jill, if you're a journalist, don't make uh, vacation plans yet for Christmas 2024 into New Year's Eve. 2025, because that's the next deadline. So, uh, as they typically do in Washington, they've kicked the can for about 18 months here. They got a deal, and we knew they would get a deal, but they would wait until the end. They cut this one super close again, 48 hours out. Biden gave an address to the nation. Many of you probably missed it on Friday night from the Oval Office. Uh, he spoke briefly about bipartisanship, said that neither side is happy, but the country got what it needed. And, uh, you know, it is possible for Democrats and Republicans to come to compromises in Washington. Many Republicans declared victory, saying they got Biden to budge. They got him to negotiate. He had resisted for months to negotiate. He wanted a clean debt ceiling lift with no um, cuts on his side. Eventually, Republicans forced him to the table. uh, And so they were able to say they were able to get um, some needed agreements there in this 99-page bill including new work requirements for older Americans who receive food aid. Uh, They greenlit a new natural gas pipeline that runs from West Virginia to Virginia that many Democrats had opposed and still oppose. That includes environmentalists who are uh, very critical and up in arms um, over this agreement. Some environmental rules were modified to help streamline approvals for these energy projects. Uh, And uh, you do have uh, some agreements here from Democrats about how much they can spend in the coming years.
1: From the AP now, a heads up to everybody who has been enjoying cheaper gas prices the last few months, and who hasn't? Saudi Arabia says that it will again reduce how much oil it sends to the global economy, taking a unilateral step to prop up the price of crude oil. And this is after two previous cuts to supply by major producing countries in what's called the OPEC alliance had failed to push oil prices higher. The Saudi cut of 1 million barrels a day, which will start in July, comes as the other OPEC-plus producers like Russia and Mexico agreed in a meeting in Vienna to extend earlier production cuts through next year, The new cut would likely push up oil prices in the short term, but the impact after that would depend on whether Saudi Arabia decides to extend it.
0: Yeah, so these previous cuts, which we reported on this podcast, gave a boost to oil prices. That's big for countries like Saudi Arabia, Russia, all the major oil producers, because when they cut production, that means less supply, which means prices go up, right? Because Uh, They bet on demand, continuing to be what it is. So that actually pushed prices up to $87 a barrel. But then uh, prices then started to come down again Um, because demand hasn't been as high as they suspected. And so crude oil is back down to $70 a barrel. These countries like to keep it closer to $90 a barrel, Jill, to help prop up their economies. Uh, These Saudis need sustained high oil revenue to fund very ambitious, very expensive development projects that they're using right now to diversify their economy. And so those two previous cuts didn't work. They're trying another cut here. And in the meantime, U.S. drivers have been enjoying the benefits um, of these lower prices Uh, the average being about $3.50. That's down a dollar from a year ago at this time. The energy prices also welcome in Europe, where they've seen prices the lowest since uh, Russia invaded Ukraine. Now, the Saudis are hoping to bring those prices back up again. It will be interesting, though, because these are a variety of countries. You have the OPEC, hardcore oil producers, then you have what you called OPEC+, Plus, which are these extra countries, Mexico, Russia. Um, beyond OPEC, and they all shake hands and make these agreements. But some of them don't abide by these agreements. For example, the Russians uh, will talk about cutting, but they need so much money to fund their war, they haven't actually followed through on certain cuts. So it remains to be seen whether they all follow through with what the Saudis called for here. And it's a really tricky dance these OPEC countries play here on the global economy, because they want to cut production to increase prices, but they don't want prices to go so high, typically not more too much above $100 a barrel, because that then hurts the economies, brings up inflation, and then ends up cutting demand. So they're really playing with the dials of the global economy here to try to um, get as much profit as possible without completely burning and wrecking uh, the global economy.
1: From the Guardian newspaper, a loud noise rocked DC on Sunday afternoon and sent some residents into a brief panic. It turns out it was a sonic boom from a flight authorized by the U.S. Department of Defense, according to officials, and it came as jet fighters were scrambled to pursue a light aircraft that had violated airspace in the Washington area and later crashed into a mountainous terrain in southwest Virginia. The jet fighters caused that sonic boom over the U.S. Capitol as they raced to catch up with the Cessna Citation Business Aircraft. The FAA saying that that Cessna aircraft crashed in southwest Virginia around the time the sonic boom was heard in the Capitol. A U.S. official said the jet fighters did not cause the crash.
0: Yeah, Rogers is reporting that the Cessna was believed to be on autopilot. Uh, apparently, the pilot unattentive, uh, sadly and wasn't responding to authorities' efforts to make contact with it. It was not clear why the pilot was unresponsive. They are investigating details there. This aircraft, a civilian aircraft, had taken off from an airport in Tennessee, was bound for Long Island MacArthur Airport in New York, and ended up making a big U-turn and was off course by 300 miles, eventually makes a U-turn around Long Island and back towards Virginia, crosses into restricted airspace, which they take very seriously, especially after 9-11, and that's what led... Um, to all of this, that plane, by the way, was registered to Encore Motors of Melbourne, Florida. Some reporters have been uh, reaching out to them to try to learn more details. Uh, tragic, though, several people aboard that plane. But certainly, Jill, a number of uh, Mo News listeners uh, had messaged me on Sunday afternoon, being like, "What's with the huge explosion in Washington? People <laughs> were hearing it in Virginia, in Maryland. I mean, a sonic boom over the air of Washington. Uh, you know, certainly led to uh, a lot of fear yesterday."
1: Heading overseas from the BBC, an electronic signaling system error led to the train derailment in India that killed nearly 300 people and injured hundreds more. That is according to officials in the country uh, on Sunday. The error caused a train to wrongly change tracks and crash into a freight train in India's eastern state of Odisha, creating a disastrous pileup that involved a second passenger train as well. It is one of the country's deadliest rail accidents in decades. An Odisha government statement announced the updated death toll of 275 people on Sunday. More than 850 others were injured as of Saturday night. Over the weekend, the Indian Army assisted police and the National Disaster Response Force, as well as other rescue teams, to search for survivors.
0: Jill, the trains collectively were carrying 2,300 people. The crash occurred at a time where the prime minister there, Narendra Modi, has been focused on modernizing their colonial-era railroad network in India. It is now the world's most populous country with $1.42 people. And despite government efforts to improve safety, several hundred accidents do occur every year, uh, though this is one of the most significant uh, in recent years. Jill, the numbers here are startling. 8 billion people a year ride Indian trains, 22 million people a day, 14,000 trains, 40,000 miles of track. Um, so it is a lot for them to manage. In fact, the prime minister was going to be inaugurating the next day um, some brand new improvements to the railroad, the railroad, Uh, He, of course, has postponed that given this tragedy um, and as they continue the investigation.
1: From CBS News, Churchill Downs, home of the Kentucky Derby, announced on Friday that they would suspend racing after 12 horse deaths that happened in one month at their famed racetrack. Race operations at Churchill Downs will cease this week and the remainder of the season will take place at Ellis Park in Henderson, Kentucky. The company said that even though investigations had determined, quote, no single factor or pattern related to the racetrack has been identified as a potential cause of the deaths, the racetrack needed to be closed. The CEO of Churchill Downs saying in a statement that, quote, what has happened to our track is deeply upsetting and absolutely unacceptable. Despite our best efforts to identify a cause for the recent horse injuries, and though no issues have been linked to our racing surfaces or environment at Churchill Downs, we need to take more time to conduct a top-to-bottom review.
0: Yeah, so four horses died in the opening of Kentucky Derby Week. Two of the horses died from unknown causes when they both suddenly collapsed after completing their races. Five others were euthanized after training and racing incidents at the track in the days leading up to the Derby. All 12 horses were put down after suffering serious injuries on the racetrack. But again, they haven't figured out the collective cause here, or even if there's an issue with the racetrack itself. So it isn't clear yet what changes they need to make. They have announced other changes and policy changes when it comes to horse racing on the track. That includes restricting horses to four starts over an eight-week period. The racetrack will also establish new ineligibility standards for horses that finish more than 12 lengths back. Again, uh, the idea here, not forcing horses into the race if it appears there are issues with them. Uh, But, Jill, this is an industry that is facing a lot of scrutiny right now, given the deaths that we've seen uh, there in in Churchill Downs, as well as recently in California. Um, And there's a lot of speculation about what drugs are used to make these horses run faster. Um, et cetera. So there does seem to be a moment here when it comes to horse racing, where uh, with these deaths, uh, there are, are going to be some potential real changes uh, to the industry.
1: And from Variety Now, if you're looking to take a break from actual reality, perhaps after listening to this podcast so far, <laughs> um, Apple has a new product for you. The tech company is widely expected to announce its first VR headset at its worldwide developer conference today. The headset is Apple's biggest new product introduction since the Apple Watch eight years ago. Though analysts say it's all but certain that the device will not see anywhere close to the sales numbers that Apple's other wearables have enjoyed post-launch. Many details of the device have leaked in recent months. It will likely be called Reality One or Reality Pro. It will run a customized version of iOS dubbed XROS and come with a whopping $3,000 price tag. For that money, consumers will get a lightweight headset described a bit like ski goggles. The device won't require a computer or phone to run immersive apps, but it will rely on an external battery pack meant to be carried around in a pocket and connect via a short cable. The headset will be equipped with outward-facing cameras capable of piping a live video feed of people's surroundings into the headset, where this so-called pass-through video view can be combined with virtual elements, an approach known as mixed reality. Consumers will reportedly be able to switch back and forth quickly between a view of the real world and complete VR immersion via a physical dial or button. It will reportedly run a number of first- and third-party virtual reality apps, including games, fitness, and meditation apps, as well as the ability to watch movies, sports, and other live events in VR. The device will likely offer access to existing iPad apps, including many of Apple's own apps and services.
0: So, Jill, I come to you today on a MacBook, and I have an iPhone. And we have an Apple TV in the house. And the bet Apple is making is that many of you, many of us who have the other Apple devices, will at some point be buying these reality goggles. Though, as you described it, these VR goggles with mixed reality with a battery pack in your pocket, I don't see myself walking around Brooklyn with with one of these anytime soon. But, you know, right now, virtual reality um, has been big in the gaming world. Um, And the question is, is can they make it, at least to begin with, a part of your home entertainment experience. Uh, One of the interesting things, Jill, as I was reading this uh, variety piece, was that um, they're going to try to differentiate this from existing VR gear by also having an outward-facing display to show the facial expression of the headset wearer to bystanders. So (laughs) I guess- You'll look less weird because your face will be projected on the goggles over your eyes. They say this is a feature meant to make wearing the device less of an isolating experience. Apparently, you'll also be able to FaceTime um, through these goggles uh, if you don't enjoy FaceTiming directly to your phone right now or looking for a different experience. Meta tried to get ahead of Apple last week by announcing the latest version of their Quest goggles here. And you can make two arguments about this, that VR ain't happening or that Apple has been a game changer in a number of industries. Apple will tell you, you know, uh, iPhone got off to a slow start as people tried to get around not having a keyboard, that the watch got off to a slow start and uh, sales quickly picked up. And they, you know, hope for the same thing to happen in this VR space. Again, it depends. Will this just be a gaming thing or will this move on to other things? Meta's made its attempt Uh, to try to get you into the metaverse, so to speak. And so Apple, by the way, has lowered expectations here. Initially, they were hoping for 3 million of these goggles to be sold in the first year. Now it looks like they're just uh, expecting 900,000 of them to be sold at $3,000 a pop. Okay, June 5th,
1: 2023, Mosh. This will either be my worst call or my best call ever. I think this is a bust. I don't think that regular people want this. Um, Gamers, perhaps. uh, Perhaps you'll see this being used for the military, for in hospitals, doctors who are going to be able to do surgeries a different way. I don't see, at least the way that we just described it, regular people and myself just being a regular person – having any desire. Maybe I would try it in a store just for fun for you know 20 minutes or so. I, I can't see spending $3,000 for a pair of these.
0: So you don't see us next year at this time recording this podcast through our Apple VR goggles.
1: Listen, I am somebody who is also holding onto my BlackBerry for dear life and didn't think that I was ever going to convert to an iPhone. So I'm not saying never, and I could yeah. certainly be wrong about this. Just my initial instinct is that this is a bust, and no one wanted the Snap glasses. Uh, right. They were a total disaster. S- Snapchat tried it,
0: to introduce uh, glasses a couple of years
1: ago. S- spectacles, I think is right. what they were called. It was a total bomb. Um, it just doesn't feel like – it just feels like the tech companies are are trying to come up with a new gadget because it's it's obviously so lucrative for them, um, and the public it, doesn't really seem to be interested. It
0: reminds, it reminds me of the Mean Girls quote, stop trying to make fetch happen. Stop trying to make virtual reality Exactly.
1: (laughs) All
0: right, let's go to On This Day in History on this June 5th. Uh, We'll start in 1968 on this day, Jill. While running for president, Robert F. Kennedy was fatally shot, assassinated on this day by an assassin named Sirhan Sirhan in the Ambassador Hotel in L.A. He would die the following day. Um, Kennedy at that point had major momentum uh, behind him and was on his way to becoming the Democratic nominee that year for president. I should add here, Jill, as we mentioned previously on the podcast, uh, his son, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., currently running for president himself. All right, fast forward to 1981. Today, June 5th, 1981, the CDC put out its first weekly report describing a rare lung infection it said they found among a group of gay men in L.A. The article called it a type of pneumonia it would mark the first time that the disease that would later become known as AIDS was described in a report. A few physicians and public health workers in coastal cities at the time had noticed strange infections in otherwise healthy gay men in the years prior, but the report served to put the phenomenon on the record. It would take a couple of years, though, before the government would start to take that more seriously. All right, Jill, moving on to pop culture. As we teased at the top of the podcast, on this day in 1985, Ferris Bueller and a couple of friends took the day off. So it's not official in the movie, but some internet sleuths have been trying to figure it out for years. Like what was the day Ferris Bueller took off? Because, you know, who among us doesn't have a few hours on their hands to try to figure out and scrutinize film footage? Well, based on the footage of the baseball game they attended, the Cubs game that uh, they showed in the movie that day, it appears to have been from a June 5th, 1985 game Others, though, dispute it, Jill. They've scrutinized the footage, and they believe based on that and the parade they were in, it had to have been a day in September. We here at Mo News, though, Jill, I should say, are going to go with June 5th. I think we're making that call.
1: As the Chicago native here, I think uh, I'm very comfortable with you making this decision for us uh, as an organization. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Jill, by the way, a 1985 being a big year for um, iconic moments in film. So June 5th, 1985, we believe is the year, was the date that Ferris Bueller took off. October 26th of that year is the day that Michael J. Fox and Doc would go into the future. I should say go into the past. So 85, a big year in, in kind of fake movie date history, if you will
1: roads where we're going we don't need roads i think that's the quote yeah <laughs> we'll go Jill,
0: with it <laughs> joe i'm very comfortable with you making the call that is the quote from back to the future <laughs> all right Jill, we're gonna end here with a little bit of music history take a listen From her debut studio album, "Songs in A Minor," it came out today, twenty-two years ago today, June fifth, two thousand one.
1: She has since uh, Mosh won fifteen Grammy awards. Uh, she is a New York Times best-selling author. She's an accomplished actress, uh, and she was on The Voice as a coach for a few seasons.
0: Yeah, and of course, she's married to uh, artist producer Swiss Beats. They have a couple kids together, um, and you know, continues to really be in the zeitgeist. She's influential also when it comes to activism. Um, and philanthropy, et cetera. So mark this date when many of us were introduced to her for the first time.
1: All right, we want to thank you for listening to the Emo News Daily Podcast. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode and review us in the App Store so we can continue to grow.
0: Jill, it's good to be back. I hope uh, we aren't too rusty for everybody. I feel like uh, hopefully we <laughs> caught you up on the most important things happening this past weekend. And for those of you looking for more, please consider joining Mode News Premium over at mode.news/premium. Also, subscribing to our newsletter um, now daily. Uh, it's been out for a few weeks now. Uh, Getting great feedback there. So you can go do that over at Mo.News as well. Subscribe to our daily newsletter.
1: And thanks everyone who wrote in and and messaged us about the podcast. I have to say, Moshe, I really missed it. I missed working with you. I missed putting the stories together. I missed listening to it. I, I like listening to it when it comes out in the morning. So it's good to be back.
0: Jill, it is good to be back. I'll see everyone back here tomorrow. All right. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.